Okay. So, in relation to Hey Tevis, which is the victory of this Sfarim, and I thought it would be appropriate to talk a little bit about Sfarim. Um, sitting here with um, almost a big fly Sfarim in front of me. Um, I'm going to start from the beginning, but just some perspective. Um, first of all, after Hey Tevis, in the following years, the Rebbe spoke about the way to celebrate the victory of this forum is, and of course, we're familiar with Hey Tevis wasn't just about books and money and property, it was a lot deeper than that, but the Rebbe said that the way to actually celebrate this is by making that by on Hey Tevis to spend money to go and buy Svarim or to buy and to fix Svarim that you already have that are in need of repair and that's sort of the way to celebrate Hey Tevis with an emphasis on buying Svarim, buying books. In addition, um, many years earlier in the, th- in the 70s, um, the Rebbe initiated a series of mitzvah campaigns, uh, famously the, the Tefillin campaign and the Shabbos candle campaign and all in all there were 10 of them. And one of the mitzvah campaigns was bias Mali Svarim, to have a home filled with Jewish books. And um, it's an interesting one also because all of the others, or I mean, Tefillin is a mitzvah, mezuzah is a mitzvah, kashrus is a mitzvah. What, what's the mitzvah and what's the agenda behind this campaign of having all Jewish homes to be filled with books? And what is, what, how does a home become filled? "Quote unquote," with books. Um, so um, the topic is very long, and I will. Want, I hope over the next hour or so to give uh, an overview of this uh, of this concept, and hopefully we'll be able to cover at least the, the, the basics. So the subject starts. The topic starts from a pasuk in Devarim. In, chap- in the end of Pasha Vayelach, chapter 31, verse 19, wherein the Torah states, V'ato kisvu lochem ha-sashira ha-zois, v'lam das b'nei Yisrael simo b'fihem, l'man tiya li ha-shira ha-zois l'eid b'vnei Yisrael. Now write for yourselves this song and teach it to the Israelites. Make them memorize it so that this song will be a witness for a, a witness for the Israelites. Um, so what is the song? What does it mean to write the song? Now this is in Deuteronomy chapter 31, like I said, towards the end of Pashas Vayelech. And this is the 613th mitzvah of the Torah. This is the final mitzvah of the Torah. And Rashi and the Ramban and many others say that what this means is, coming up soon in chapter 34 is the Shira, known as Shira's Hazinu, the song of Hazinu, which is... Um, a poetic chapter of thirty of forty two verses, forty three verses, um, wherein Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people and actually addressing the heaven and earth to bear witness and testimony to the fact that the Jewish people, um, if they know what's good for them, and they should use their brains and think about what the, the, the veracity of Torah and mitzvahs, etc., etc. So Rashi says. Um, that when it says, and, and the Ramban and others, that when the Torah tells, that when the, 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 this, this Pasuk is saying, write down this song and teach it to the Jewish people, um, we are referring to 
Um, we were referring to the song of Hazinu. The poem of Hazinu. Um, now, that, that's, that's the simple meaning of the Pasuk, according to Rashi. However, Chazal explained what this Pasuk means is that there's a mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah. Every individual Jew has a mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah. In the, in the words of the Rambam, it is a positive commandment on every, upon every Jewish uh, male to write a Sefer Torah for himself, as the Pasuk says, and now write for yourselves this song. Meaning to say, write the whole Torah which contains this song. Why so? Because it's forbidden to write the Torah Parshish Parshish. There's a prohibition against writing um, with parchment and the whole, you know, in that method, only a part of the Torah. So you have to write you have to write the song of Hazinu, but you can't write the song of Hazinu. You say therefore you have to write the whole Torah in order to write the song of Hazinu. Where's that known from? So that, that that's a, that is a another that, that's a Gemara elsewhere. The Gemara says that you're not allowed to write the Torah Megillah Megillah. But then we know through Kabbalah. What do you mean through Kabbalah? Through, it's a Drasha uh, I assume. Yeah, I mean it doesn't say it explicitly in the Torah, but it's I assume it's a Drasha Saksuvim. I didn't look it up to be honest. Okay. Now, before we continue, I was hoping that what I just said would evoke some. Confusion. <coughs> confused. Yeah. I like he wants us to be confused. Um confused. Okay. <laughs> I said we're already confused. We don't need more confusion. <laughs> I said that before you came. No. <laughs> um so What's what, what's this? I mean, there's a number of ways to approach this. But but first of all, why would there be a mitzvah? I'll read this to you from the words of Haksava Hakabbalah. Haksava Hakabbalah is a sefer of the Torah written by Rabbi Yaakov Mecklenburg, Mecklenburg, who was a fierce uh, fighter of the Bible critics, and. Um, much of his sefer is devoted to demonstrating the, the the sense and the rationale of the text, not just of the logic of the Torah, but of the text of the verses and how they are divinely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but a very similar sentiment is shared by many others, including the Chassam Sefer. Where but, uh, I like the way he says it. He says, "Imagine." Imagine Imagine you would have a doctor who tells who gives a, a, a he calls it a receipt to, who gives a prescription to a patient and he warns him very strictly that if you don't consume this medicine you're going to die and therefore, I want you to write down the instructions very, um, very carefully, to so that you constantly know what you need to do and how to create this solution, whatever it was, this medicine, 
to 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 die. That you should not die. die. To not die. Now, what did? It no, he says I'm I'm warning you. Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm jumping ahead. He says I'm warning you. Write down. Write down for yourself how important it is to take the medicine, right? Now he says, of course, the doctor is not telling the patient to write down what the medicine is. That goes without saying. Here he's being extra strict with him, and he's telling him, use a knife. To open this, open yeah. um, and he's telling him to um, to write down how important it is to take the medicine. But obviously, you have to write down the recipe of the medicine because. So he says, what's going on over here? Hazinu um, is about how important it is to keep the Torah. So, what would be the sense in writing how important it is to keep the, to take the medicine without knowing what the medicine is? Of course, you have to write the Torah. And then he says, furthermore, just from the context of the of the psukim, just from the context of the psukim, it's obvious that we're talking about the whole Torah. That when it says write this song. It doesn't mean write the song of Hazino. It means write the Torah. And the Torah is referred to as a song. Um, so I'll just read for you a little bit of the verses in between. This, again, this commandment is in chapter 31, verse 19. Chapter 31 goes until chapter uh, verse 30. So there's another 10 verses, 11 verses afterwards. And then you start the, quote, song of Hazino. And in those number of verses, um, it says... Come on. Oops. Sorry. Bear with me. Sorry, at the end, after after Moses says this, Shira. He says to him, I'll just read from the from Rabbi Kaplan's translation. When Moses has finished speaking all of these words to all of Israel, he said to them, Place close attention to the words through which I warn you today, so that you'll be able to instruct your children to keep all the words of this Torah carefully. Right? And numerous other such references about the cut. Just if you read these two chapters of the Torah, chapter Deuteronomy chapters 31 and 32, it's clear that we're not talking here about these th- few verses of poetry. We're talking here about the whole Torah. So, of course, Kisul HaKem HaSashir doesn't mean write this poem, it means write the Torah. So the Rambam comes with this very sort of legalistic, shall we say, approach. Well, you have to write the Shira. The Hazino, and you can't write only part of Torah. So you have to write the whole thing. The Chassam Seifer and the Ksavah Kabbalah say, what do you mean? Like, of course we're talking here about the whole thing. Um, another problem is, another problem, another, another thing to reference is, what do you mean you can't write part of the Torah? Anybody ever wear tefillin? What's inside tefillin? Right? Of course, you're not allowed to write part of the Torah. But if the to- Torah, if the Torah itself tells you to write a specific part of the Torah, then clearly that means that that part of the Torah can be written. Same goes for Mezuzas. Same goes for the Parsha of Sota, which was written in the Beis Hamikdash when the when the woman drank things. So, how does the fact that ge- in, in, in generally you're not allowed to write um, a, a one part of the Torah prescribe writing just Shira Sazino when that is the mitzvah? 
So, who asked this question? Chassam um, Seifa asks this question, and also Rabbi Baruch Epstein, <coughs> not this Rabbi Baruch Epstein, the Torah Tzmima Rabbi Baruch Epstein, um, writes, um, asks the same question. Um, and probably others too. So, why is the Torah called a song, by the way? So, clearly the Torah is called a song. Because um, there's numerous verses. He, 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 Ksavah Kabbalah says that the, the reason why a song is called a shira is because shir, it's the root of yashar, of straight, and how a song has to be straight, and he goes into a whole musical thing. But I think there's something much more, to me, more meaningful than the technical word yashar, is that, um, I mean, for example, the, the verse that we say, that Hashem's song is with me at night, the Gemara says that this refers to learning Torah at night. Now, that doesn't mean that learning the Shira of Hazinu at night, it just means learning Torah. Torah is a song. Um, one of the ideas behind, um, I'll say two ideas that come to mind about the Torah being a song. Number one is the beauty of music, the beauty of a song, and that is Torah is Shashuim. Shashuim, it's a, it's a toy, it's something that you enjoy. You know, people have things that they enjoy, um, and that are... It doesn't necessarily make sense, like, why do you enjoy the company of your pet, for example? Um, or whatever it is, certain toys, you know, you might play with a slinky, like, whatever. You, you, there's something that you, because slinky might be a stupid example, but I'm saying the, the idea that somebody has the, the, a song, right? Now, for, so, so you may have a mitzvah to learn Torah to a certain amount, so if, when you finish the mitzvah, then you don't have to learn anymore, maybe, yeah, in, in, under certain circumstances. But if it's a song, if it's something that you're attached to, the beauty of a song um, talks to you. That's what we expect. It doesn't have an end. Is what he's trying to get to. Right. There's, there's it's the, the power ongoing. and the beauty of a song. It's what? it's pr- it's ongoing. It's it ongoing. But an end. <laughs> you enjoy it forever. It is, there's a certain preciousness in a song. In fact, so, 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 so I think that's the first point of it. Kids for the write the Torah. Don't just write the Torah. Make the Torah be your song. David HaMalach says in Tehillim in chapter 119, um, that your Torah was Zemirois, was like a song to me. Now that's not the same word as Shira. Zemer and Shira both mean, I mean, I'm sure there's a etymological uh, difference. Um, and they may, but basically, Zemer and Shira both mean song. And the Gemara actually says that David was punished for calling. Um, Torah Zemiris, that he forgot the halacha that the iron wasn't allowed to go on the wagon, but um, but in the Alter Rebbe in Tanya, in uh, explains uh, talks about this, but before he explains what was wrong with David Hamelach, he explains what was right with David Hamelach, and other words, why was David Hamelach calling it a Zemira, a Zemer, and then he says how at the end of the day on David Hamelach's level, Torah is a lot more than that, and that's why he was punished. But what's the idea of a Zemer? The idea of the music is. How in quality music, every minutest detail is of uh, is of relevance to the whole song. And if there's one, there's a famous story that uh, Shays Taub says about. I'm not going to remember the names. How some um, there was a mu- king who addressed Mozart, and he said, "There's an awful lot of notes there." And so Mozart, by the which one should I take out? 
<laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, so, so the other story was about some composer in Italy who had, there was some army or something in America who were doing this symphony and he managed to go to the seashore and listen on a radio and he managed to, to sort of connect to this thing. I don't remember the details of the story, but the bottom line was that he was listening, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles away with the radio, which obviously wasn't, you know, clear, you know. And he said that, you know, it was a 60-piece band or something, and there were 14 violins and this and that. And he said, you know, there was one violin missing. And they found out that it was true, there was one violin missing. And so they said, how did you know? He said, what do you mean? I wrote the piece. I know how it's supposed to sound. So, in music, there's no such thing as... Each detail is of omni-significance. And the same is true in Torah, and thinking of Torah as coming down, the Word of God coming down... through the hishtalshalos of words until it, we apply it in this world to Kashmir's to kibitzas. And of course we know that they learn Torah in, the, in Gan Eden, right? There's a massif to Gan Eden. Now in Gan Eden they're not learning Torah the same way we are. They're not dealing with people lying about who found this object, right? But whatever it is, it's, it's the same Torah that sort of makes its way. So throughout the whole, um, uh, you know, spiritual Milky Way, there's all these details of Torah and each detail, right? So that's also another reason why Torah is called a song. This kind of gives, like, adds significance to the fact that there's some mitzvahs that one person is obligated to do and another person may not, like a woman to a man and a man and a coin and so on and so forth. Like, there's certain things that you can't do, but together it creates that symphony. Right, so it's actually interesting. I was going to mention this later, but I, I'll sort of say it now. Uh, the Rebbe discussed one of the one of the questions is going to be, and I'm not really going to spend a lot of time on that today. Maybe another time. Why don't we find that people do this bit? So why don't people write sefer for the most part, right? And there's v- many different um, answers suggested. But <laughs> one of the customs that has developed is that when we finish a Sefer Torah, everyone comes and writes a letter, and by writing a letter in the Sefer Torah, well, without your letter, the Torah wouldn't be kosher, because it would be incomplete. So, it's like you've written the Torah. And the Rebbe says how the ultimate, the final mitzvah, the 613th mitzvah of the Torah, is, is sort of, it's like, why would Hashem give a mitzvah that's impossible for most people to keep? But that's the point. The Hashem is giving, showing us how the 613th and HaKel HaChitam, the final mitzvah, is a mitzvah which pretty much by definition can only be done by community participation mm. and sort of shows the, the value of thing and actually and it the, shows the music in it yeah yeah. oh that, yeah, that's interesting I don't know if the Rebbe says that but yeah that's, <laughs> that's sort of yeah that, the, the, that, the, the idea of music is how every, every detail adds the violin adds something significant and the trumpet yeah, can add what the violin what the violin are you allowed to say a trumpet nowadays is that I put it in olive ones huh I, I had an olive once. That's where that was my letter. Yeah. Somebody said There's okay. also the idea of buying a letter in the safety. Okay, well, but um, all the, also, by the way, the is it penultimate, is that the word? The one before the, the final? Yeah. What's, the, what's the 612th mitzvah? I'm sorry. 612th mitzvah, the mitzvah of Hakel, to gather the whole Jewish nation together and teach them Torah. Right? So they, 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 that fits together, those last two. Um, so, anyway. Now, so then, so that was one question. Uh, the other question, which the Chassam Sefer asked um, about, what do you mean? Why would there, and uh, why would there be a prohibition against writing just this part of the Torah if that's the mitzvah? Uh, 
Yeah, that's good. I saw this this morning. Now I can't find it. Yeah. Um, no. Ah. Yeah. So he goes. He says he he, he sort of bar. You know, quote him. I, I doubt he even saw him. I don't know the exact history, but he don't, he, he he sort of goes with this idea of the Ksava Kabbalah, saying that of course, if the Torah tells you to write the Shira, which is the warning about keeping the Torah, then you have to write those parts of the Torah that are relevant to keeping. But he says so. Then you w- if, so then you would have had to write just the mitzvahs of the Torah. So you would skip. Um, the whole Boratius, you would skip the first few chapters of Shemois, and you would skip all the random sukkim like the uh, Simla Hispanaga. You know, you would skip random verses that are not. Um, yeah, right? And he says that, that would be, that, then that would be a problem, because then how would, then in that case, there would never be a prohibition against writing. If you were allowed to do that, then there would never be a prohibition. Then the prohibition of writing the Megillah, the Torah, just a part of the Torah, Megillah, Megillah, um, would never apply. And then he goes on to say how. He gets into the reason why why, why you're not allowed to write the, the Torah Megillah Megillah, because because part of the thing is that part of the way we learn Torah is we do we do We say, oh well, if this pasuk comes after this pasuk and this parsha comes after this parsha, that teaches you X Y Z, right? So I don't know, Nazir comes after Soita to teach you that a person who witnesses a Soita in her degra- degrading state should should become a Nazir. And, Hundreds of halachas like that, and in fact, one of the reasons why now well, again we'll get to it. One of the reasons why nowadays we don't write the Sefer Torah is, be, uh, is because the idea of the writing of the Torah is to learn from the Torah. And nowadays, when we ha- when we when, back in the day when they were only allowed to write the written Torah and the oral Torah was oral, so they knew how to learn from the Torah and they would open the Torah and they would say, "Oh, this pasuk next to this pasuk means this." And the fact that this letter has three crowns on it, Kisrei yeah, um, uh, the, the the fact that this the, this letter has three crowns on it and those little things that teaches us right so in a day and age when they were able to do that writing the Torah Megillah Megillah could be a huge problem says Chassam Sefer that doesn't apply to Tefillin and Mezuzah and Pasha Soita because those were not intended to read from nobody reads from the Mezuzah nobody reads from the Tefillin and nobody reads from the Pasha Soita they're just I mean Soita was there for one time use and Tefillin and Mezuzahs are enclosed in fact um we even discussed once when we were learning Hilchus Mezuzah, are you allowed to fix a mezuzah if you have a wide doorway? Can you just put the mezuzah in a frame? Why, why do you have to roll it up and you, uh, you see what it says, right? But the mice we don't do that. We roll up the mezuzah and put it in a thing. So he says there there's no, there, there's no problem by Tefillin and mezuzah. There's no concern that Torah will be misconstrued because of not having the context. Whereas if you were to write part of the Torah, the Lamdo Espinay Yisrael, the Torah says, teach it to the Jewish people, um, and but then, then you already have the risk that if you don't have the whole Torah, it can be misconstrued because of not having the correct context. The Torah Tzmima himself says um, says another thing, and based on another machlokus. There's a machlokus in the Gemara of Torah Chumanitna or Torah Megillah Megillanitna. In other words, how was Torah given to the Jewish people? Did at the end of Moses' life he write the whole Torah and say, "Here you go," or was the Torah written sort of as it was happening, Megillah, Megillah, as God said to Moses, "I don't know the mitzvah of Yibum," and he wrote it down, and then he told him the mitzvah of whatever. As things were going along, he was writing down everything Hashem said, and then at the end of his life, he finished the Torah and. Um, he gave it to the Jewish people, like we, like we read here in Vayelach. So, the Torah Tzmima is taking on the approach, which is, which seems to be the, 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 the at least according to the simple reading of the Pesukim, 
the approach of Megillah Megillah Nitna that it was done piece piecemeal. What, it seems to be more. The Tzibur argues that's the simple pshat, and therefore he says Hashem says to Moshe, write down the Shira and give it to the Jewish people. He already had the whole Torah until the Shira, and then Hashem tells him write the Shira, then so and on to the rest of it, and then give them the whole Torah because that's the end, right? So, so write down the Shira, thereby completing the whole Sefer Torah, and give it to the Jewish people. So. And teach it to the Jewish people. So teach them the whole Torah. That's what it's all about. Mm, interesting. And, uh, so that's interesting. Uh, very typical genius chat of the Torah to come up with that type of. Uh, it's kind of like almost like an historical argument. Yeah, that's what the Torah is good at. He comes up with these, you know, um, whether yeah. I'm saying it's not push up shot in terms of text. It's more push up shot in terms of what is most likely about what happened at the time. Yeah. And he's using that. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on a little bit. It's already nine thirty. Sefer Chinuch. Everyone should know already. Sefer Chinuch. Codify of the Torah of all the mitzvahs of the Torah in a in the order of the Torah. So if you want to know where to find this mitzvah, you just open the last volume and it's right there at the end. Right. Whereas the Rambam has also all the mitzvahs, but he has them in whatever, however he designed his order. So another question. But this one is goes you know parshas. So yeah, the Chavit Parsha has its. Um, this is actually Parshas Nitzavim. He calls it Parshas Nitzavim because I guess he calls Nitzavim and together, which most use Nitzavim and Yerach together. Apparently, since the custom to split up the Parsha when there are two Shabbos between Shana and Sukkot, with the first 40 verses of the Ram, it eventually became identified as two Parshas Nitzavim and Yerach. But technically, really, at least in the lexicon of the Sefer Achinuch, um, he calls them both Pashas Nitzavim. So anyway, he says like this. Um, I'll read to you the article translation. 613 mitzvah, the obligation upon every Jew to write his own Sefer Torah. We are commanded that every Jewish man should have a Sefer Torah. If one wrote it with one own, his own hand, he is very praiseworthy and beloved by Hashem, as the sages of blessed memory stated in Menachus 30a, as an apple, if one wrote the Torah, Sefer Torah, which is to say with his own hand, Scripture considers it as though he received it from outside. So this is the mitzvah in the Torah. What's the best way to do this mitzvah? To with your own hand write the Sefer Torah. And if you do so, um, then you are reckoned as if you have yourself received it from Sinai. And I, on my sheet over here, I quoted a Pirish of Rabbi Yonason on the Rif, where he says that what's the connection, why is writing your own Sefer as if you took it from Sinai? So he says, because writing your own Sefer is very difficult. You have to get the money, you have to either, he says even if you hire a Sefer to do it on your behalf, which I'll get to in a minute, but it's difficult. You have to, you have to learn how to write, you have to, it's, 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 it's a a, a production of a few years. He says, if you're going to work so hard to fulfill this mitzvah, we can be very confident that you would have also gone out there into the desert and done whatever it took to get the Torah from Sinai. If it's not possible for him to write it with his own hand, he should hire someone who will write it for him. With regards to this obligation, it is stated in Deuteronomy 31.19. Write the, yeah, and now write this song for yourself. Um, so, what the, what the Chinuch seems to be saying, and the, this is based on the words of the Rambam, the Rambam pretty much says the same thing, that the way to do the mitzvah is to write the Sefer yourself, or, if you can't do that, then the second best way is to hire somebody else to write the Torah for you. So just like 
any other mitzvah, like not any mitzvah, but many mitzvahs, you can f- appoint a shliach to do. So, for example, if you want to do the, fulfill the mitzvah of getting married, you could either go to the chuppah and get ma- and marry the woman, that's a mitzvah, or if you're too busy, you could send a shliach to go to the chuppah for you and, and be your agent to tell the woman that she is betrothed to so-and-so, and um, thereby you've also fulfilled the mitzvah of marrying her. Now, mitzvah is always preferable to do the mitzvah yourself. But you can fulfill the mitzvah through a shleach. So, so to this mitzvah of writing Sefer Torah, you can, um, if you don't know how to write, hold on, hold on, you can fulfill the mitzvah through an agent. Now, for example, there are mitzvahs which we generally encourage people to do themselves, not through an agent, like getting married, like preparing for Shabbos. Yeah, you're supposed to actively at least do some help preparing the food for Shabbos. Right? But those mitzvahs, which by definition um, require uh, a certain skill to do, and most people don't know how to do them or are not able to do them, <laughs> so then we allow people to rely on the shleach. So, for another very common example of this is come on, the mitzvah to circumcise your son. Right? Most people don't fulfill the mitzvah themselves, then most people make a shleach to, to fulfill that mitzvah. Right. And That's in everyone's uh, best interest. M- many Mayalim have, uh, <laughs> yeah, many Mayalim have the, 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 do is that before the bris they actually give the knife to the father and they say, either do it or appoint me as an agent, because they don't just want to do a thing, they, the, the father should ideally be appointing him as the agent to, um, to, to, do, to do so. And even in that mitzvah, there are some fathers who do the mitzvah themselves, even if they're not qualified, they have a Mayal who comes and sets everything up and they just, the actual removal of the cutting of the foreskin, which is once it's all set up, I mean, it doesn't take much talent, you need to be not faint of heart, but uh, you know, the, the <laughs> once it's all set up, it's perfectly safe, etc. There are fathers who do that, because of this idea that it's better to fulfill the mitzvah yourself. Yeah. It's not Ari's style, but some people do that. Um, I, I, I get, uh, I thought about doing it, and I, I felt and very, I, I, I just got nervous. I, I, I know that really there's nothing to go wrong once the person has it all set up. I just felt like something could go wrong anyway. Well, well, well the exceptional th- case where something does happen and you need skill to deal with it. Well, he's there. The Miles said Well, the, the thing, th- there's nothing that could go wrong. The thing that could go wrong is that if the father is not confident and trembling and he's going to do it slower and whatever, it may be arguable pain. that there'll be more p- pain to the baby. Uh, whatever. Anyway, let's not get too sidetracked. Okay. Now, here's the... Uh, when the Sefer Chinuch, uh, he goes through all the mitzvahs and he always has what I he calls... my question. Oh, sorry. Yes. Now I have two questions. Hey. So one very simple preparation for Shabbos. If cleaning is part of the deal, or specifically cooking. Okay, what's the second question? That was the question. first one. Is cleaning part of? Preparation I understand. For I just want to know what the second one is, and then. The second very different. Ah, um, is cleaning for Shabbos part of the thing? I, I don't I know. Shulchan Aruch talks about and talks about. Uh, Talks about cooking. Uh, I think it's reasonable to assume that cleaning the house for Shabbos is. I don't know. It's I don't considered know. what part of the mitzvah? The mitzvah of mitzvah to be Yosef in Hachonis Sarchi Shabbos. If it has to be sort of positive, or could be negative. In other words, it has to be in preparing food or cleaning up. Is also I don't know. Okay, and the second. I mean, it's not you. You have to do both. Yeah? Both have to get done. The question, the question isn't. Of course, you have to clean the house for Shabbos and you have to cook food for Shabbos. The question is that if you have like the wealthy Amiroim that the Gemara talks about. They had uh, maids doing all the work for them, 
even though the maid could have done everything, they, or, or maybe the wives did whatever it was, they specifically made a point of going into the kitchen and having some active role in the preparation of the food. If there's no maid to do all the work, then obviously you have to clean and cook the food, right? And the second question is kind of weird, but you said you can have a shliach to see under the chupa. So can you have a shliach to produce kids? <laughs> no, that part of the mitzvah has to be done yourself. <laughs> That's not assignable? No, there's not, you can't make a shliach to put on filling either, right? Some mitzvahs, mitzvah shabagufay, there's mitzvah shabagufay, right? Uh, having kids is a mitzvah shabagufay. You can't make a shliach to have kids, that won't work. But um, but some mitzvahs you can do with a shliach, some mitzvahs you can't. I mean, that's a whole discussion. You, you also can't marry a woman as a... You cannot have a shliach marry a woman uh, through bia. Okay, that, that's... <laughs> don't go there, it's too complicated for now. No, I'm, okay. No, uh, one of the ways to marry a woman is through relations. Right. It has to be you. But it's the same that's thing. It's like, and they marry to the other person. Well, it's the same okay, that it's beyond the scope. It's a good question. It's just beyond the scope of what we're talking about today. No, you mentioned. Not everything I mentioned mean. Not, sometimes I mention things, but to go to delve into them in more detail is beyond the scope. Beyond so It's a very good topic for another class, but I want to try and co- cover. I have a lot more ground to cover, but I want to cover some of the more ground that I want to cover. But the so. I'm yet to share, and we'll have another class about that one day. Deal? Okay. And in that class, I might mention something about writing the Sefer Torah, and if you ask me more questions, I might say it's beyond the scope. Uh, <laughs> okay. Not just good, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it was uh, writing the Sefer Torah. It was logical, right? Okay, so the Sefer Chinuch says, Mishor Mitzvah. Every Mitzvah, the Chinuch says, what are the underlying purposes of the Mitzvah? And he always says, Mishar Mitzvah, among the underlying purpose of the mitzvah, because, like I believe the Chiluch himself explicitly explains, that there are no mitzvahs, that mitzvahs by definition are beyond reason and beyond logic, and therefore we can always attempt to understand some of the underlying purposes of the mitzvah, but the underlying purposes of the mitzvah that we understand are never going to be um, comprehensive and exhaustive. So among the underlying purpose of the mitzvah is, it is well-known fact regarding people, that in all their endeavors they are motivated to act based on the resources available to them. We are creatures of the society around us. If they have to go through much effort, they tend to neglect the matter. Therefore, Hashem, blessed be He, commanded us that each and every Jew should have a Sefer Torah that is readily available to him, so that he can read and study from it at all times, and not need to go to his friend's house to borrow a Sefer Torah. All this is in order that through one's constant study of Torah he will learn to fear Hashem and he will gain knowledge and understanding of his mitzvahs which are more precious and desirable than gold and even much fine gold. So basically the purpose of this mitzvah is to have Sifri Torah. Again, you're talking about an age when people learn Torah from a Sefer Torah. We're going to get to nowadays soon. Um, so in such an age we want Sifri Torah to be readily available. So you have to write one for yourself and... Um, Keep it or hire somebody to write one for you um, so that it should be readily available for you. 
Now, according to this explanation, and this is sort of the, I'll just read the art scroll intervention, yeah. According to this explanation, it would seem that a person who inherited his inventory from his father should be exempt from writing one himself, since he already has readily available, one ready available to him. However, the Gemara indicates that one does not discharge his obligation with an inherited safetary, rather he must write one for himself. Chinuch explains why this is necessary. Now, before I tell you why the, what the Chinuch is going to say, I'll point out another interesting thing, that... <laughs> L'chayra, you're not yoyt to the mitzvah by buying a Sefer Torah. You can have a shliach to fulfill the mitzvah for you. You can hire a sofer to write the Sefer Torah for you. But if you just go on Amazon, or the equivalent, yeah, somebody who just has a Sefer Torah for sale, and buy a Sefer Torah, that does not fulfill the mitzvah of writing a Sefer Torah, because that wasn't done for you. Mm. But here he's saying that even when you have, if you buy one or inherit one, if the purpose of the mitzvah is just to have Sefer Torah readily available, so why do you have to write one yourself? Just buy one of the thing. Or if you're a person inherited one, why do you need another one? Says the Chinuch, we are commanded that each and every Jew should endeavor in this matter of writing a Sefer Torah, even if his forefathers left him a Sefer Torah as an inheritance, so that there will be many Sefer Torah among us, and we will be able to lend them to those who are unable to afford um, acquiring them for themselves. In addition, so first of all, to have them readily available to other people. And interestingly enough, the Sefer Chinuch says, you know, he always, at the end of the mitzvah, he always says, who does this mitzvah apply to? Everyone, men, women, koinim, levim, people in Israel, people in the diaspora. And here, there is, he doesn't say so explicitly, but he says, his words are, um, one who transgresses this mitzvah and does not write a Sefer Torah for himself when he is able to, in any of the manners mentioned at the beginning of the mitzvah, then you're violated the mitzvah. So they're sort of built into the mitzvah, this allowance that you're only obligated to do this mitzvah if you're able to, if you have the, if you, right? If you can afford it or whatever. Um, and then he says, um, in addition, here's another reason why an inherited Sefer Torah is not good enough. Inherited Sifri Torah are often old and worn. And Hashem wanted that inherited Sifri Torah are often old and worn. Hashem wanted that each and every Jew should read and study from new scrolls out of concern that they will lose their enthusiasm to study when the re- reading the old scrolls that the forefathers had left for them. Right? In other words, just being very um, in, in tune with human psychology. And, you know, in the Rebbe, the Rebbe who when he came to America, took over the publishing house, Kahas, the Chabad publishing house, and the Rebbe, throughout the years, encouraged the whole time to print things in the most up-to-date, beautiful way possible. Um, the Rebbe encouraged many of the Sfarim that were printed to be changed from the Rashi script to the, I don't know how you call it, to the, quote, regular script, yeah? To make, to, to, and, and now, when, as printing has become cheaper and cheaper and more readily available, there's all the, everything is now, oh, there's the new print of the Gemara, the new print of the Shulchanah, everything now is new print, new print, new print, because for, 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 for years they were writing these things by hand, at painstaking cost and efforts. And then, with the advent of the printing press, we were able to start printing, but still, you know, for years and years, they were reading the Shulchan Aruch and Tours, and they, you know, it was just a copy of the same one, the same one. And now, suddenly, we're, there's, there's five different companies, um, uh, sort of, each trying to lead, be the leading in the market of the new print of the Shulchan Aruch, and the new, 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 new print. And, you know, if you look in the library, we have the Shulchan Aruch HaBahir HaChadosh, the, the new, new print of the Shulchan Aruch. You know, so, Baruch Hashem, this is, this is beautiful. Says the Chinuch, this is 
built into the mitzvah of writing a Sefer Torah. We'll see soon how this relates to how this far. It has a freshness, right? Right? <coughs> we want, we want this, the point of this mitzvah is learn Torah. Torah should be available to you and you should learn it as much as possible. People are creatures of habit, of their society. You do what's easily available to you. Um, you, um, you um, so, so make sure appealing, fresh-looking Sifrei Torah are as readily available to you as possible so that you should um, read them as much as possible. What about since men all value? It doesn't. It's something come from your father, so it's more precious to you. So you would want to learn more. You should have both. You should have both, yeah. Vedabini, know my son. Um, I believe the Chinuch wrote this safer for his son to read. Anyway, know my son. That although the essential biblical obligation pertains only to writing a Sefer Torah, there is no doubt that it extends on some level also to other books that were composed in explanation of the Torah, Mishnah, Talmud, etc. That is to say that it is incumbent upon every person to produce copies of them according to his ability for the reasons we stated, to make Torah learning readily available. This is true even if his forefathers left him many other such books, he should nevertheless make sure more of them so that they be lent out and that person could study from new books. Indeed, this was the practice of all God-fearing men of noble character in the generations before us, that is, to establish in their homes a study for scribes who would write for them many Torah books in accordance with the blessing, namely the wealth, that Hashem has given them. So here's where I want to move on to now. So the, Torah, the Chinuch is sort of opening the, 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 a new territory here, where sort of saying how we're talking about writing a Sefer Torah, but really writing any Sefer, and again, talking in a time before printing press, is also in fulfillment of this mitzvah. Now, going back to the words of the Pasuk, Going back to the words of the Pasuk, so a number of Sfarim suggest allusions in the actual Pasuk to this concept of that this is not just referring to Sefer Torah, it's referring to other Sfarim as well. And I'll share with you just two of them. One is from the Balaturim. The Balaturim um, is the author of the Torah, the, basically the first code of Jewish law was the Torah. Yeah, is that accurate? The first book Unless of Jewish law. Uh, yeah, Lord. the Rambam. Sorry, yeah, the Rambam is. This the is more organized. The uh, difference of the between the main difference between the Torah and the Rambam is that the Torah is a code of only those halachas which are practical, which are relevant today. The Rambam is a code of the all six hundred and thirteen. The Torah is a code of those which apply today. But so that's true. The Torah is not the first, but the Torah, other than the Rambam, they're organized after, differently. Yeah, they're organized very differently. But uh, um, and the Torah is really the precursor to the Shulchan Aruch which is the ultimate code nowadays, because the Beis Yosef, who's the author of the Shulchan Aruch, started off by writing a commentary in the Torah called Beis Yosef, and then he went and made the Shulchan Aruch, which was following the style and the order and the structure of the Torah, etc. The Balaturim also has a commentary on Chumash, which is often full of gematrias and those type of things. And uh, there's a vart, I don't remember where I said this, that Nowadays, especially with calculators, it's very easy to come up with gematrius and all sorts of things. But we call this book the Baal HaTurim, because in order for your gematrius to be worth, worth the paper they're written on, 
first write a tour. Once you've, written, once you've done a tour, <laughs> then we'll pay attention to your gematrius. Um, so, by the way, do you know what the word, the, the word gematria means? What's the tour mean? Tour means the rows, because he split it into four sections, so it's four rows. Um, the word gematria is the same as the word... Come on, Dan. Geometry. Oh! <laughs> um, I thought, yeah, Dan, I thought you would know. <laughs> I wasn't even going in that direction. <laughs> so, anyway... I was thinking, what was the Gematria? I was thinking, Gamma Rada. So, the <laughs> he says like this. Velam, now, Velam Yisrael, it says, now write for you this song and teach it to the children of Israel, put it in their mouths. So he says, Velam Yisrael is the Gematria Hintoshabiksav, this refers to the written law. Sima Bifiam is the Gematria Zetalmud, this is the oral law. So he says, within the verse, we have the idea that writing the oral law is included in the mitzvah. Now, the history of this is that essentially there was a mitzvah to write that, that was prohibited to write the oral law, right? And Rebbe came along and he said, that the decline of the generations, that's another topic which is beyond the scope, the concept of Eurydice Hadiris, yeah? but um, the decline of the generations, we are no longer able to really preserve. Torah knowledge if we don't write down the oral law and therefore then it not only became permissible but even a mitzvah to indulge in writing and purchasing svarim etc of written oral law and based on that there is also another here um, I copied myself here a piece from a sefer called Kisei Rachamim which is one of dozens of Sfarim written by the Chidor, Rebchaim Yosef David Azulai, who wrote dozens of Sfarim. And he says that another way how this is alluded to in the Pasuk, and he says... One second. Um... He has this whole introduction how somehow that in, that this was by design, that there had to be a period of history where we were doing all of our learning from the written Torah, and somehow by, by that point in history affected later on how we were then able to preserve the oral law to the extent to write it down in an orderly fashion, etc. It's a long piece. But then he says, based on that, he says, look at the Pasuk. The Pasuk says... Now, write for yourselves this song. Now, you should write the written Torah. Why? Because this will put it in their mouths so that they will remember it. If you now make sure only to write the written Torah, then that will also preserve the oral Torah. And that later on, right, we start off with now. Later on, when the time comes for Islam, and you'll write the oral Torah, then that will also become um, part of the mitzvah. Say that again. He says, write it down, and that meant that in the future, when you needed to, you should write it down. He, he, he sort of splits it into two ways of understanding it. I'm trying to combine it. But the Pasuk is... Uh, the simple, then he, he if, you want to, if you want to have it in a simple way, he just says like this. Now, you have to write the written Torah. Why now? 
because the time will come when it will be a mitzvah to write the oral Torah as well. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, that, that's a, that could be a simple way. But he says that at the end. Okay, so that's from the Chidah. Fine. So, now, practically speaking, so, 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 okay, we're, we're running out of time here. Um, Lemaisa, the Rosh, and the way it's brought down in Shulchan Aruch, um, in Shulchan Aruch it says nowadays the mitzvah is to write Chumash, Mishnah, Gemara, um, and this is an actual fulfillment of the mitzvah to the extent that it, this adopts the details of the mitzvah. So, for example, one of the details of the mitzvah is that you're not allowed to sell a Sefer Torah, with the exception of in order to marry a woman or to learn Torah. So, but he says the same tr- goes through his farm. You're not allowed to sell a Sefer. Now, I'm not talking about people who have bookstores to write, but if you have your own sparim, you're not allowed to sell them um, unless you fill, unless certain criteria are met. So it's clear in Shulchan Aruch that you are yet, that, that this is not just like in the spirit of the mitzvah, but this actually becomes part of the law of the mitzvah, the letter of the law, to write other sparim. <coughs> now, there's another discussion, and I'm thinking now maybe we'll continue this discussion next week a little bit, because how do we fulfill this mitzvah today? And um, and, um, and, and, and nowadays when we're not, nobody's writing any sfarim, and the most you're doing is printing them, and most people are not even printing them, we're just ordering them online, or going into the bookstore and buying them, we're not even ordering them. So, but, 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 but to the extent that in the commentaries on Shulchan Aruch, there is even a question to what extent is there even a mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah today? In other words, some of the Paschim hold that today the mitzvah is solely, exclusively in writing others for him, and there is no mitzvah anymore today to write a Sefer Torah. Lamaisa, that's not the accepted halacha. The accepted halacha is that there is still a mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah, but primarily... The What's mit- that based on? What? What would that be based on? Um, because of that, what, that kind of that drasha you said earlier? Well, it's ba- no, that's chida. It's based on. Um, I mean, it sounds like because the the time the because the, part of the question is like the Chassam Soifer says that you get into what extent does Talmud do we die if the reason for the mitzvah is even explicitly in the Torah to, to, to learn Torah and to teach Torah so nowadays we specifically don't learn from a Sefer Torah right and to the extent that the Paschal say nowadays it's inappropriate to learn from a Sefer Torah the Sefer Torah is supposed to be kept in the Aron Kodesh with dignity and you you know with with, with, you, you, with what's it called you know you, yeah and uh, your Svarim should be ripped and, and, and falling apart from use right mm. so Anyway, there is a, the, the Drisha holds like that. The Drisha holds there's no mitzvah to write a sefer anymore. Lemaisa, the normative psak is, and again, that's already late. The normative psak is that we don't, um, we don't, that, that the primary mitzvah is the, the mitzvah to write a sefer still exists, but it's also very important to write svarim. I'm thinking now that I probably will continue this next week. I want to finish off. And I didn't even address a topic which I don't really have a very a lot to say. I have some thoughts. Is how you know in this forum and in the poskim there's a lot of talk and the, the Rebbe Sichas is a number of times the Rebbe addressed this question of what do we do nowadays when we're not writing svarim anymore? We're like I said, we're printing them, we're purchasing printed svarim. I have another question. What about nowadays when 
everything's available either online or if not on the internet I mean, look, all of this. How did I have all of this? It's printed from the Barilan program, from the Itzar Chachma program. So I have databases, hard drives, or soft drives, whatever it's called, yeah, on my computer, which I, from where I have access to hundreds of thousands of Svarim with a searchable, uh, yeah. So is there still value? To what extent is there still value in having to have um, physical books. So there's a lot to be said about that, and I have some thoughts again. We'll have to continue this next week. But I want to just finish off with one vart. The Rebbe, like I said, one of the campaigns was to have a bias money a house full of books. And it was an interesting campaign because, like I said, it's not, it's not any mitzvah. It's not a, well, it is perhaps a mitzvah. But what's the, the mitzvah is to have swarm, to buy swarm, to have a house full of books. So one thing that the Rebbe explained what does it mean to have a house full of books? So the Rebbe used an analogy of a halacha in Hilcha Shabbos, where, um, for example, on Shabbos it's forbidden to carry from one domain to another. Now, if a person carries a barrel, so then they violate Shabbos and they're liable to that penalty if it was done with the thing or to bring in the carbon. What if a person brings out wine? The person carries wine from one domain to another, also, Yechayev. Now, the halacha with Shabbos is that everything has a shear. In order to um, violate the mitzvah, um, well, in order to be liable for violating the mitzvah, you need to take out, uh, there's, a, there's a requisite amount, just like when you, you're not allowed to eat, uh, um, I don't know, just like, you know, that's a good example. Yeah, you're not allowed to eat uh, non-kosher meat. You're not liable to the penalty unless you eat a kazais and all of Bulk. Um so yeah. So okay. so 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 uh, so so same truth when you're not liable for violating Shabbos unless you take out a certain amount of whatever food it is. Now, what's the amount? The amount is whatever. Every food is different, but mm-hmm. has to be some useful amount. If you just take out uh, one kernel of flour, one well, not kernel, one one speck of flour, then, then that's not a use. That's nothing, right? So, what happens if a person takes out a barrel? And in the barrel, there is a tiny drop of wine, less than the requisite <coughs> amount of wine that makes one liable. So then he's potter because he only took out a drop of wine. Ah, he also took out the barrel. Yes, 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 a barrel is very significant, but when a barrel is used as a container to wine, so now the wine, the, the now wine the w- now we're now we're wine, and the barrel becomes sort of uh, subsumed by the identity of the wine. Uh, another example is The Allah is that if a person carries another person, you're not allowed to do it, but there's no liability. Why? Because a live person carries his own weight to some extent. Um, You can see this, first of all, every person can see this when you have a baby or whatever. You see a baby who's asleep feels heavier than a baby who's awake. Um, And that's just a fact. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you've ever been involved in afterlife care, a, a, a dead person is much heavier than a live person. So, 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 now, so if a person carries another person on Shabbos, so then, thing. now, what if a person carries a, per, a person who's dressed? Now, if I were to take shoes from here out into the street on Shabbos, I'd be liable. Now I'm carrying this person who's Noise Satsma, but I'm also carrying the shoes. The shoes are not Noise Satsma, right? It doesn't matter because once the person is wearing the shoes, the shoes become part of the person. Now, 
There's such an expression in Chesidus, which is based on the Rashba, that there are certain things in this world which are considered basic human necessities. And one of those human necessities is, you have to have uh, food, you have to have oxygen. Yeah. One of, a basic human necessity is to have a home. Right? Um, so a person's identity is, is sort of completed by his home. We find this in the mitzvah of sukkah, that even when a person is not in the sukkah, he's still somewhat in fulfillment of the mitzvah, because the mitzvah of sukkah is not just to be in the sukkah, the mitzvah of sukkah is to have a sukkah, just like you have a home, mm-hmm. so you have to have a home in sukkah, so in sukkah your home is the sukkah, right? Which is, uh, the, the Ran says that that's why you're not allowed to take out, even if you finished eating in the sukkah, but there's still time till the end of sukkahs, you shouldn't take out your furniture from the sukkahs, because even if you're not going to be there, just the fact that your furniture is in the sukkah, that is fulfillment of the mitzvah. Right. The same is true we've spoken about why the mezuzah protects you even when you're not in the house, because a person is by definition connected to his house even when he's not in it. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, um, some people have things in for example, people who are very into art. So when they design their house, they design a special, very prominent room in their house to display their art. Right? Now, that's, I don't know, 50 square feet compared to how many hundred square feet the house is. But when you come into the house, what's the first thing they say? Let me show you my art gallery. Right? Because that is, right, now... Every, right? your, your bedroom is more important to you than your bathroom even though your bathroom is very important and you wouldn't get a house without a bathroom but your bedroom is much more important to you and your living room is much more important to you than your kitchen right? etc etc everyone has whatever works for them so sort of borrowing this concept of, from Hilcha Shabbos where we see how one thing assumes identity of the other the Rebbe is saying I, we want to influence Jews to have a house that is figuratively filled with books not that there's no space for other things in the house, but that the, the, the art gallery, the, the, the focal point of this house is the Chumash, the Tehillim, the Tanya, the Gemara, the, the thing that is in this house. The, the, the house should be, in that sense, figuratively filled with books. And that was the message behind the Rebbe's campaign. And yes, this is not a fulfillment of a mitzvah per se, as is Mezuzah, Tefillin, and Kashrus, and the other campaigns. But this is something which the Rebbe saw as key to changing people's lives, to changing the world, to changing the thing, by having people prominently display the Jewish books and to identify with that as being the, uh, the, 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 the sort of the focal, po- focal point of the home. And to paraphrase, if I may, just the words here from the Chinuch, indeed this was the practice of all God-fearing men of noble character in the generations before us, to establish in their homes a study for scribes who would write for them many Torah books. Now, nowadays, of course, this is not the practice because nobody writes books anymore. But may I paraphrase the lesson of the Chinuch and that this is indeed the practice of all God-fearing men to have a prominent place in their home for their Sfarim. That the Sfarim, you know, for, for my personally, and I'm thankful that this is the Chinuch that I had and my father is very into Sfarim. And um, when I made how much money I made for my bar mitzvah, uh, my bar mitzvah I, within a, a year or two, I had spent the vast majority of it on the roots of what I was now, what is now my library, which unfortunately is in boxes. I have uh, all boxes and boxes <laughs> as far, which I'm waiting for a place to open and unpack. But lekshay uh, archiv. But 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 that a Jewish home, the pride of a Jewish home, is the beautiful library 
that he that he has. And because all the people who are present are usually not so particular about finishing on time, I'll indulge myself with one more story. Um, the Rav of Krachabad, the original Rav of Krachabad, which was established, was Rav Shnei Gorelik. And the story is told that he one time walked into a home and he said, in this house it's forbidden to say halal. What are you talking about? So he said like this, the Gemara says, the Gemara discusses which days of the year you should say halal. So we know you, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, Hanukkah, Rishchidosh, <laughs> that is beyond the scope. <laughs> yeah. I said, your mouth's moved. Someone's here from David Goldberg's class. David Goldberg is not here. David's not here. So they're setting up for a concert carry class or something? Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll finish this class in a few minutes and make him comfortable and we'll. Okay. Yeah. So, um. External forces. Where was I? Oh, yeah, that's so, so, the Gemara, so, so, so the, the Gemara then discusses about saying halal on Rosh Hashanah. So, why, so we don't say halal on Rosh Hashanah. Why not? So the Gemara says, because Sifri Chaim Sifri Mesim Psuchim Lefana Vatam Imrim Shira. Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. The books of life and the books of death are open in the heavenly court. It's not a day to say halal. To the extent that there is even a question in the Paschim, you know, especially in Chabad and Rosh Hashanah is the day where we encourage excessive recitation of Tehillim, yeah? Do you have to skip those chapters of 113 to 118 because you're not allowed to say Halal on Rosh Hashanah? You don't. But there is such a discussion. Shlomo Zalman writes about it. So, the, uh, back to the story, Rabbi Gorelik says, you know, I'm looking here at your bookshelf, and you have a Pesagamara, and a Maimar Chesidus, and a Shakespeare, and a, he says, it's Sifri Chaim and Sifri Mason, the books of life and the <laughs> books of death. He says, you're not allowed to say halal. So, I believe the point is that we're talking here about the Sfarim being the, the, the Sifri Kodesh, the Sfarim, the Chumish, the Hillim, being the focal point of the home to make a beautiful library for yourself, a prominent library for yourself. This is not to say that you shouldn't have any secular books in your house. That's another question. Which secular books are kosher and when you should have them? But another thing is, don't mix them with Yusfarim. Right? There's Yusfarim. I'm not saying you have to hide them, but there's books which are designated for Sifri Kodesh. This is something which is very holy. This is something which is very precious. There's, there's, there's sanctity here. There's, right? There's prominence here. There's a mitzvah here. Don't, don't underestimate the value of that and realize that it's degrading to this farm and inappropriate to them to equate them with your books and how to have a good marriage. It's very important for married people to, 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 to learn about marriage and to, to, to work on their marriage and, have, and to work on their shalom bias. But your books about why men are from Mars and women are from Venus don't belong on the same shelf as your Gemara or your Mishnah.